Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 35. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado, and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. They laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entereth in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha, come I, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, Arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years. And they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it, and commanded that something should be given her to eat. I'd like to continue our thought on uh, some clusters of characters in the Bible. Last evening, I tried to preach using Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the God of our fires or our fiery trials. I'm glad that God does not leave us to ourselves in our fiery trials, aren't you? Our furnace experiences. But he's there with us. He's nearby. And tonight, as we resume this emphasis, I want to use three of Christ's disciples. I preached on the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the God of our fires, Tonight, I want to preach on the God of Peter, James, and John. And I want to say some things about the God of our fellowship. When I use this word fellowship, I'd like to use it from a divine perspective. Our fellowship with Jesus. There is, there is a place of quiet rest Amen. near to the heart of God. There's a place of intimacy. There's a place of communion. Now, I confess, and some of you will understand where I'm coming from, I confess, I have always hated cliques, little groups. Before I realized what they were, I despised them. For instance, in school, 
there were always those three or four students that you can't you can't sit where we're sitting. Or you go on and play with the others. We're we're playing together here. Uh, I think it comes out of family life. It certainly comes out of the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? Yeah. But uh, I think our our home life has a lot to do with some of our attitudes as children. Uh, then I got in high school, I found that it was there as well. Uh, you know, some of us were told to throw the ball more often to so-and-so. Uh, when his average was below some of our averages. But he was in the clique, see. And his parents were in the clique. Whereas some of our parents didn't even come to the games. Uh, and then I got in Bible college in the ministry and then traveling from church to church. And so help me, I found out there's cliques in the religious world too. There's those few who think they're the elite. And no one can measure up to them. You ever heard anybody say this? Whatever you do, don't tell her. She is so-and-so's big buddy. Don't tell him. He'll go straight to the preacher. You know, the, there, there's little groups that seem to rally around certain things. It's true uh, at large as well as locally. I, I stand appalled. I guess I grew up rather sheltered in these mountains. But I stand appalled at how how political things can get out here in the religious system. If I preach for a certain preacher, then I'm called in question by another preacher. Or if I preach at one church, then uh, I may not get to preach at such and such church. Because... I've gotten outside the clique. I've gotten outside. You folks are acting like you know just what I'm talking about. It's so wonderful to preach to people where there are no barriers. I'm cutting up with you, but you, you know what I'm saying. There's that. You, you find it everywhere. Well, you see it on the job. There's some of you ought to have been promoted to that particular job. But you weren't in the clique. Or you didn't butter your bread on the right side. Or you didn't butter somebody else's bread, probably, was what it was. A clique. And there's something in me, I just, man, leave me alone. I'm going to the house. I'm not going to, I don't care about it. And in some ways, I suppose I'm too independent. I should reach out to others in a way at times that I don't. But I have found that Jesus had somewhat of a clique around him. Now that's the clique that I want to get in. I want to get in that little clique that knows more about Jesus than the others. I, I like to call Peter, James, and John 
the inner circle disciples. That's not something that originates with me, but I like that language. Uh, you've got the, the big circle, all the disciples, but then you've got this inner circle. And often, Peter, James, and John got to get in on some things that the other disciples didn't get to get in on. I'd like to join that I'd like to get in that inner circle. Now, this is hazology. This is not necessarily biblical truth. But to me, it seems that Peter, James, and John are representative of faith, hope, and love. Simon Peter would be the disciple I would equate with faith. How many do you know who have walked on the water lately? Or even got out of the boat. And then James lived in hope and died in hope. And there's no question, John is the disciple whom Jesus loved. So you've got faith, hope, and love. Now let me just make a couple of comments before we look at this text. And a couple others where this trio, this threesome... Uh, is found together. Uh, Thomas missed out on these special experiences. Of course, some of you already have thought, why? Doubt can't get into the inner circle with Jesus. Doubt will lock you out. And Thomas missed out in that area. I've told you before, I think, my parents didn't do everything proper in my upbringing, but they named me correctly when they named me Thomas. Of course, some of y'all ought to have got that name too. But uh, I, I feel I'm very gifted in this thing of doubt and unbelief. And I've missed out at times on intimacy with Christ because of my doubtful heart. Oh, I don't want to do that. I want to get in the inner circle. And I could mention others. What about Judas? He wasn't here. And he wasn't in these other special places. Because hypocrisy is locked out from this intimacy with Christ. Even Matthew didn't get into these special scenes. Matthew was sort of the, the figurer. He... He was a tax collector, you remember. And he, he was always figuring things out. Boy, this calculation of spiritual life is not what gets you in the inner circle. It's just trusting Him, hoping in Him, loving Him. And you can get in on some things that others can't get in on. Are you interested in that? I'd like to get in on this clique. Amen. This inner circle bunch. With that in mind, let's look at three times where Peter, James, and John are found with Christ. In intimate moments with Christ. We've read about the first one here in Mark chapter 5. In fact, we'll use Mark's gospel in all three settings tonight. But here we have Christ 
bringing to life uh, this ruler of the synagogue's daughter. And, uh, of course, uh, we could maybe approach this various ways. It's a scene of gloom, sickness and death, and despair. But I'm going to say that Simon Peter and James and John, firstly, the inner circle group, got in on what I'm calling the blessedness of his fellowship. Now, what is so blessed about it, Tom? Well, they got in on what he was doing. He's getting ready to raise the dead. And they're going to get to witness it. The others are out. In fact, there are a lot of principles here. One is in this blessedness of Christ's fellowship you learn something about his patience. They mocked him here. They, they, they laughed at him. Verse 40 said when he told them she sleepeth. They laughed him to scorn. <laughs> here he goes again. And the Lord Jesus, all he would have had to done, done is speak the word. And man, the earth would have opened up if he chose to, to do it. And swallowed them up. But in patience. He, he just went ahead and accomplished what he came to do. He put them all out. And he took the father and mother of the damsel, verse 40. And them that were with him. Oh, there's our, our inner circle boys. Peter, James, and John. And entering in where the damsel was lying. Notice not only in the blessedness of his fellowship did they get to catch a glimpse of his patience. But they caught a little glimpse of his power. The Bible says in verse 4, he took her by the hand. She's, she's lying here in a state of death and he took her hand. And he said, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years, and they were astonished with a great astonishment. Here in this inner circle, these fellows got to see Christ's power firsthand. (laughs) I like to hear others talk about revivals. I love to hear others talk about God's miraculous intervention. But I like to tell about what He's done for me. I, I like to have firsthand information about His power. Somebody said, well, that's what I wish I could get. Then you're going to have to get in the clique. You're going to have to get in the inner circle. You're going to have to move from doubt to faith. You're going to have to move uh, from uncertainty to hope. You're going to have to move from uh, hatred and and, uh, traditional divisions to love. And then you'll catch a glimpse of his power. And even, forgive the overusage of these P words, we hear them often, 
But what about the provision? He said, I want you to get her something to eat. There's a little pity there as well, isn't there? Give this girl something wholesome. Give her something to eat. She needs something right now to eat. The blessedness of Christ's fellowship. Again, I say it's getting in on what Jesus is doing. I really, forgive if I sound sarcastic, forgive me. But I really don't care about what brother so-and-so is doing. And I really don't care what the other evangelist is doing. And what certain programs are accomplishing. And what certain methods are bringing to pass. I want to know what he's doing. I've seen him work before. And all the other things began to fade away. In the obscurity when I think about His power and His grace in action. Getting in on what He's doing. Then turn with me to chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. <laughs> oh, this is helping me. I hope you get help, but I tell you I'm getting help. I guess it takes a preacher to understand that. You know, I preach almost every night of my life. I'm trying to change that bad habit. And uh, I've been a little successful next year. I'm cutting a few things out and trying to be a little more sensible, especially after my sickness. It was a good wake-up call for me. But uh, I, I confess to you that that there are times when I get very desire, desirable, very longing, very, my heart yearns to see more than the ordinary, to see His hand and His, His power, what He is doing. And then when we come to this chapter, The Bible talks about Christ showing His glory. Now, in verse 2, After six days Jesus taketh with Him, here they are again, Peter, James, and John, and leadeth them up into a high mountain, apart by themselves. Oh, brother. And He was transfigured before them. His raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller, that would be a a bleacher, on earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Elias with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses, and one for Elijah, Elias or Elijah. For he wished or knew not what to say, for they were sore afraid. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, hear Him. And suddenly when they had looked round about, 
They saw no man anymore save Jesus only with themselves. To know Him as the God of our fellowship, the God of Peter, James, and John, we not only get to get in on the blessedness of His fellowship and catch a little glimpse of what He's doing, but we get to get in on the brightness of His fellowship and see a little bit of what He's displaying. His inner essence clothed His outward frame. His Godhood was manifested on top of His manhood. They didn't just see Jesus from another perspective. They saw Jesus as He really was. God in the flesh. His glory was set forth. So we move from a place of gloom to a scene of glory. And Jesus reveals Himself as He really is. I don't know about you, but I I don't want to live on the dull side of the Christian life. I don't want to live in this, in a dark, overshadowed relationship with Him. I'd like to know something about the brightness of the Lord Jesus. Uh, The world talks about Jesus Christ, superstar. But we as God's people say He's the bright and the morning star. He is the glory of God. He's the majestic King. So they saw the brightness of His inner essence. I think as well, they saw His Not only His inner essence, but His incomparable essence. He can't be compared with anybody else. Simon Peter said, Oh Lord, it's good to be here. Let's build three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And almost immediately, like God the Father was rebuking Simon Peter, he said, You've already had Moses and Elijah. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear Him. Boy, you can't compare Jesus with Moses. You can't compare Jesus with Elijah. He's in a class all to Himself. However, only the little clique get to see the brightness Of Jesus. You know I believe that there are Christians. I didn't say people who aren't saved. I say I believe there are Christians. Who live their Christian life. And never catch a glimpse. Of the brightness of Jesus. They come to church. They sing. They pay tithes. They give offerings. They're not anti-worship or anti 
uh, praise. But, but they never see Christ's glory. Uh, when somebody catches a glimpse of His glory and seems to be caught out of their little world, they, they, the other ones are looking at their watches. Or when somebody says, Oh, I need to get to the altar and cry out to God. Instead of rejoicing in it, the crowd that never has seen His brightness, they say, Is she going to the altar all four Sundays this month? Someone's panting after God. And they want to testify as to what the Lord's doing. And then there's always those who are just sort of sitting around the edges spiritually. And they say within themselves, we better watch him. That's two Sunday nights this month that he's jumped up and took over like that. Testifying. I want to tell you, dear friend, you don't have to live in the dark. You don't have to live in the shadows. The Lord Jesus is the very glory of God. And as we know Him, and as we walk with Him, we'll understand something of His supremacy. He's the brightness of God. Oh, the inner essence of Jesus was realized... The incomparable essence of Jesus was realized. Even the inclusive essence of Jesus was realized. These fellows, though weak and limited as they were, they got to be here. Somebody said, but Tom, I just feel so unworthy. John the Click. Those who operate in faith, hope, and love don't feel worthy. But they sure do enjoy the worthy Christ, the bright one, the glorious one. They can't get over the fact that the Lord was so gracious that He touched their life the other night. That He worked in them. That He did answer that prayer. That He did come by and smile upon the situation. Oh, brother, (laughs) the God of Peter, James, and John is the God of our fellowship. These boys got in on the blessedness of Christ's fellowship. They got in on the brightness of Christ's fellowship. They saw what He was doing, but they also saw what He was displaying. Nothing down here is attractive to those who have seen the Christ who is not a part of this system. But he's set apart as the bright son of righteousness. Oh, brother, to see him, to see him. I wasn't, this is, wasn't even in my thoughts, nevertheless my notes, but you know, a mother eagle, at one point she turns her little eaglet, or eaglets, usually at the most two, 
seen pictures with several, but I've never read of a mother eagle having over two. It's possible. I'm talking about the golden eagle. But she'll turn that eagle towards the noonday sun. And if that little eagle flinches, she pushes it out of the nest. She knows that it's not a true eagle. Her enemies have come in and brought another egg into the nest. And she's raising something besides an eagle. And so she pushes it off the side of the cliff. Can't see the sun. You can't look at the sun. You're not an eagle. God's people have something built in them. They're able to see the sun. (laughs) We bow. Why are we doing? But hallelujah for the privilege to see Jesus every now and then. Enduring as seeing him who is invisible. Going on. Well, let me try to hush. Turn with me to chapter 14. In this chapter, we come to the Garden of Gethsemane. And we're told that the Lord Jesus left all the other disciples down at the edge of the garden. Verse 32, he said to them, sit ye here while I shall pray. But then the next verse says, And he taketh with him Peter and James and John, and began to be sore amazed, and to be very heavy, and saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went a little he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away the cup from me. Nevertheless, not as I will. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And he cometh and findeth them sleeping. And saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldest not thou watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed and spake the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Neither wist or knew they what to answer him. And he cometh the third time and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. It is enough. The hour is come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise up, let us go. Lo, he that betrayeth me is at hand. We move from a scene of gloom to a scene of glory to the garden scene. Here the disciples get in on the Brokenness 
of his fellowship. You see, following Christ intimately, knowing him especially, is not all glory. There are also heavy times of sorrow and suffering, deep inner suffering. Here are the disciples got in on his brokenness. I'm going to give you this verse. I think you, you've heard it a hundred times or more. Paul said that I may know him. I like that. Here's an old man still wanting to know more about Jesus. And the power of his resurrection. Oh, I like that. But then he said, and the fellowship of his sufferings. <laughs> Something in me recalls from that. I don't want that suffering. I don't want the sorrow. But if I'm part of this inner circle group, if I'm part of this clique that operates in faith, hope, and love, I must be introduced to suffering from God's viewpoint. And here Peter, James, and John, not only had they got in on what he was doing, what he was displaying, but here they got in on what he was drinking. He's drinking of the cup of sorrow. Yes, he will go to the cross and drink the very dregs of God's wrath. He'll tread out the wine press alone for you and for me. But for now in the garden, he's submitting again. Recommitting to the Father's will. I have read some who indicate that Jesus was trying to get away from the cross here. I can't accept that. That seems to have been settled before the world began. I think he's just intensifying his commitment to the Father's will. In this hour of brokenness... The disciples sensed something of the crises of Christ. He's under the pressure of heaven, the will of God. He's under the pressure of hell, Satan's antagonistic assaults. And he's also feeling the pressure of humanity's sin. Crises, not just one crisis. The disciples sense the crises that he carries. They also have a little glimpse, even though they may not have understood it fully, of what was before him, the cross. And he said to them, boys, you better watch and pray. The temptation will be Around the cross. <laughs> There's where you'll meet confrontations around the cross. The demands of Christ. 
the authority of Christ in our lives issues when God crosses us with the cross. Lord have mercy. I've mentioned the crises, the cross, but oh, his commitment, his commitment. You know, really, I, I don't believe we can grow very much in the Christian experience without knowing Christ intimately. And here, we not only see his ministry in that room of gloom and his majesty on the mountain of glory, but we see the mystery of his fellowship involving brokenness and sorrow in the garden of Gethsemane. My wife and I are not property-oriented. I don't know how many years it's been since I have walked the boundaries of our little plot of land. (laughs) I really don't care. Her dad has had a lot of sickness and He called her and said, I want you to come over. And so she went over. And he said, I want to give you a piece of property. Well, that was precious in his thinking, you know, because he's always been very property conscious. And uh, he said to my wife, he called her two brothers, said, I've already given them a piece of land. I want you to choose what you want. She said, Dad, I really, you just, whatever you want to give us. You, you don't even have to give us any property. We've got our place. No, 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 he said, I, I've divided it all up. I've had them sort of divided up for me, and I want all of you to have a little plot of land. And she said, well... She said, Dad, if you want, you can let me have a little piece of property over there on that hillside uh, beyond the interstate. He said, well, what do you want there? She said, just, just part of the hill there. He said, no, I want you to tell me what you want. She said, all right, I want the high peak. He said, you can have the high peak. She came home and told me, I said, your sister already has that high peak. And my wife, who has never shown any interest in property, laughed at me. And she said, no, she doesn't own the high peak. She said, I told daddy 40 years ago, I'd like to have that high peak. And he knew all the time what I wanted. But he wanted to hear me say it one more time. And she got the high peak. I don't know what that means to us. Probably means one of our children will get it or all of them will get to fuss over it or whatever. But I want to tell you, beloved, if you'll settle for the low plains, the Lord might just let you live there. But if you want the high peak of fellowship with Jesus, 
There's room in this inner circle for you. You know, we sing there's room at the cross for you talking to the sinner. But I'd like to say to the Christian tonight, there's room on his breast for you. May God use these thoughts tonight to renew our hunger to know intimacy with Jesus. It's one thing to go to heaven. It's another thing to have heaven while you're on your way to heaven. Oh, that we might long for this intimacy with Jesus. You've been so kind. Would you stand with me, please?